Thank you so much for joining us at Remnant Church Podcast. We hope that you are encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more or support this ministry, please go to remnantchurch.church. And now, the message. Well, you may be seated. <clears throat> Thank you very much. So excited to be here today and Felt really welcome. As soon as we got into town, we were presented with a nice basket by the pastor's wife, and we feel really welcome here. You know, it's <clears throat> it's great to be here, but I, I'm excited because um, I just love to come here. Been here many times as a visitor. I just love to come to places where you can sense the Holy Spirit. Amen? And actually feel and see people respond to the move of God. That's just exciting because I tell you what, there's a lot of churches that are not like that. It's probably not a new slash to you, but uh, and a special welcome or special thank you rather to uh, the warm welcome that Pastor Caleb has given me, and uh, thank you for the opportunity to preach the word. And uh, just pray for him as he comes back. I hear he's already landed and he's almost on his way home, and uh, just believe that a lot of great things happen there in Brazil. Amen. <clears throat> well. Today, I, I believe I have a word for the remnant. Now, you know what remnant means, right? Okay, I'm going to tell you again anyway. It's the small part that's left. And in this context, what you're saying is you're the small part of the church that's left, that's still faithful to Jesus, still advancing his kingdom and waiting for his return. Amen. Well, if you are really part of the remnant, you're going to have to fight. You can't come in here and just sit down and consume. You have to understand Christianity is a contact sport. That's why they want to furnish you with a helmet of salvation. So when you get hit in the head, it won't hurt as bad. They give you a shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the devil, give you a sword to fight back. Shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You've got to get out there in the highways and the byways and stop inviting people and start bringing them. Inviting don't work all that well. But if you bring them, they will come in because they don't want to walk into this place alone. So you go get them. <laughs> Well, today, today I, I'm going to give you a little pretext, a little story. Well, it's not a really a little story. It's a big story that features prominently, makes a transition from the Old Testament and the New Testament. And that is the story of Moses. Now, Moses got out ahead of God and it cost him 40 years. He was in the wilderness attending his father-in-law's sheep and he was near Mount Sinai when all of a sudden he looks out and he sees this bush that just keeps burning and burning and burning. He goes, wow, I got to turn aside. I got to see what's going on here. <clears throat> and so as he approaches this bush that's on fire, the Lord speaks to him and says, Moses, Moses, he said, here am I. He said, well, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Get your shoes off because you're on holy ground. And so the Bible says that Moses was afraid to look on God. He covered his face. He was afraid to look on God. So who was speaking out of this bush? Sorry, you can answer me. God. 
God was speaking out of the bush, and he said, listen, Moses, I've heard the cries of my people. I love that. When I, whenever I read through the Bible and I come to that part, I, already, I always know what's coming next. And I came down to listen to the cries. And that, that's why you need to understand the word cry in the Hebrew is both is translated prayer and cry because all good prayer has cries in it. <laughs> and so that's like the New Testament equivalent. You draw an eye into God, God will draw an eye into you. You know, you, you move to God, God moves to you. Thank, thank God for that, amen. He is merciful. But, um, you know, the Lord said, you know, I've come down to rescue my people, Moses, and I'm, gonna, I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you back to Pharaoh. And Moses says he protests. He said, no, Lord, I, I, I'm not, I can't do that. I already did that. I, I tried that once. It didn't go well. Well, the Lord said, well, this time it's going to be different because I'm going to be with you. <laughs> it's always different when God is with you. You know that? And so uh, the Lord said, yeah, you are going to go. You're going to bring him, and you're going to bring him up to this mountain, and we're going to have a little chat. And Moses protested again. He said, Lord, I can't do that. I don't want to do that, because when I go to the children of Israel, and I tell them that God wants to deliver, they're going to say, well, what is his name? And then what am I going to say? And And the Lord said, well, you go tell them that I am that I am has sent thee, I am has sent thee. Wow. Now listen to me, because this story gets embedded in the gospel of John, and John is a very unique gospel. As a matter of fact, um, it's it's studied different even in, in the Bible colleges. They study Matthew, Mark, and Luke differently, and they call them the synoptic gospels, because they all basically start the same place, tracing the genealogical uh, her- heritage of Jesus. You know, this one begot, this one, this one, you know, one trait, all the way back <clears throat> to David, and the other one go- goes all the way back, I believe it's Luke, goes all the way back to, to uh, Adam, tracing the lineage of Christ. But, but John is not like that. Uh, the Gospel of John was written much later, Um, It was the last gospel written, and it was one of the last books of the New Testament written. And it was written by a very, very old man who was really contemplating the theological implications of who Jesus really was and where he came from. And that's why he doesn't start with the, 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 the genealogical line. He starts in the transcendent realm. And uh, please, you have to grasp this, that John is going to tell us over and over and over and over again that Jesus came from above. (laughs) He came from another realm, another dimension. He came from a place out of this world. So uh, listen to this here. We're going to go in John 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. There was not anything made that was made that was not made by Him. In Him was life, and the life was light, and the light shined in the darkness, and the darkness could not, the King James says, comprehend, but uh, this one says overcome. It's really a military word. The darkness couldn't do anything about it. The light had arrived, and they just could not put it out. 
This was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. The spark of our soul comes from the life of the word of Jesus. Amen? And the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. Uh, think about this. He was in the world, and the world was made by him, but the world didn't know him. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. But listen to me. I'm going to give you the best offer you're ever going to get in your lifetime. To those who received him, he gave the power to become the sons of God. Amen? Amen. The power to become the sons of God. And that's all right, ladies. You can become the sons of God. Because the next time I get married, I have to be the bride of Christ. And it, it all just like, just, it just works out. No, we're not talking about being born of the flesh or of the will of man. We're talking about being born of God and being put back on track the way it was in the garden before sin entered the world. We were created in the image of God. Amen? And so um, the word was made flesh and dwelt amongst us. So Jesus reversed that. But, and so just so you're not confused as we, we move on here and come to the end of the prologue of John. John, the first 18 verses, the first chapters, the scholars refer to that as prologue. And everything in John, 21 chapters, relates back to this. So once you read through this three or four times, then go through and read the whole epistle, you will get blessed by that. And understand really what and who the word is, so there's no confusion. Verse 17 says, for the law was given by Moses. And, and thank God the law is good. <clears throat> but let me tell you, grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. No man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom or the womb of God, He was born into time. He has declared us. He has explained to us. You've seen me. You've seen the Father. He has declared to us who God is. <clears throat> but we have issues. <clears throat> oh, that didn't work out too good. <laughs> Actually, I was just seeing if you was paying attention. Our... Western Greek thinking culture thinks of time different. We have has always had a hard time translating and grasping what John is saying here in the very first couple of verses of his his gospel. Um, he says that um, in the beginning was the word. Now listen, this this is the very place where occults always try to dismantle and take away the deity of Christ. It's in John 1, because they say, oh, it says right here, oh, he was begotten. <clears throat> he was the only begotten son. So John starts out, he says, in the beginning was, and so we can stop right there, and I'll tell you that there's no English equivalent for the word and the verb was. It's just, it's just not... It's not possible, because there's, there is none. Because the Greeks, they have a lot of ways of communicating past tense. There's eris, there's second eris, there's imperfect, there's durative imperfect. And so they can show time that started in the past and ended. Time that started in the past, continued up into the present and stopped. 
time that started in the past, continue up the present, on in the future. But this here, this durative imperfect tense, is literally, deliberately showing continuous past tense. There, there never, 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 never was a beginning. So some of the modern translations actually do a good job, like the trucker's version, the New International, says it like this. In the beginning, the word already existed. And the word was with God, and the word was God. Now, I know you didn't get that. The word was with God, and the word was God. The word was with God, and the word was God. Well, what's that saying? What's you got to remember that God presents himself right from the beginning of Genesis as a divine family, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Let us make man in our image. And really, this, <clears throat> this is what God's plan is in John 17, that um, Jesus said, I pray that one day you will be in me, and I'll be in you, and we'll be in the Father, and we'll be one big divine community. That is way, <clears throat> that is how God created man in Genesis. He created us to be part of his family, to be different. We were different. We're intended to be different. We're, we're intended to be divine, just like Jesus. But, you know, sin entered in, and that's another story. But um, so uh, the cults will just double down on this. It says he's the only begotten, the only begotten, the only begotten. So let's deal with this one more time, what John is saying here. He says, all right. The word who always was, was in the bosom of the Father, who is in the womb of God, and he was born into time. And he has declared to us who God is. Or you can use it just like God said to Moses in Exodus, I am who I am. Time does not mess with me. So, Dr. John Ogilby, a former chaplain for the United States Senate, that's back when America was actually a Christian nation. Now they say, they tell us that we're living in post-Christian America, that Christianity is no longer the dominant culture in America. We all see what's going on. How many believe God can turn that around? Yeah, all we need is another wind of revival. But Dr. John Ogilvy wrote a book called The Bush is Still Burning. And in it, he records, he says that 21 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus said, I am. I am. I'm the bread of life. I'm, well, 21 times he says it. And every time he said it, he triggered the Jews. And they got really angry because... It wasn't going over their head. They know exactly what he was saying. Hey, I was at the bush. I'm the one that told Moses to get his shoes off. He was on holy ground. So that's why we celebrate Jesus. Amen? Amen. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's immutable. He just does not change. So we're going to deal with three of these I am's, okay? And understand that every time that Jesus said it, he triggered the Jews. They got really angry because they knew he was saying, I'm the one that spoke to Moses. So here, here's number one. It's in the sixth chapter in verse 35. 
and um, understand that it comes on the heel of Jesus just feeding 5,000 they say men. They didn't count the women or the children, so there must have been a lot, lot more, and they picked up 12 baskets full. And, um, well, Elijah did that in the Old Testament. There was a Bible school that ran out of food and had special company, and so he multiplied the bread, but he didn't feed 5,000. <laughs> and there was baskets left over. So, listen, so when Jesus said in John 6, 35, I am the bread of life, the Jews flipped out. It triggered them, and they started murmuring and complaining, and they said, how is it that he said he, he's the bread that came down from heaven? Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph and his mother we know? How is it that he says that he came down from heaven? But Jesus doubles down on it, and he says in verse 48, he said, listen, I'm the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness, and they're dead. But I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And if any man will eat my bread, they will live forever. And the flesh and the bread that I give is my flesh I give for the life of the world. Now, in, in Deuteronomy 8, I, I love Deuteronomy, reading through Deuteronomy. It's, a, it's really a compound word. It really means the restating of the law. But what, what, what's happening here is Moses now has the, the children of the people who rebelled against God and refused to go into the promised land. He's got them all assembled there, and he's rehearsing 40 years of failure. And he listens. He says, listen. I'm giving you these commandments so you can live and prosper and multiply and go in and enjoy the land that God has given you. Now you have to remember how the Lord brought you out into this wilderness and he suffered thee to hunger and he proved thee so that you will know that man does not live by bread only but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so Jesus, when he was in the wilderness, before he started his public ministry, he was fasting 40 days, and you know, the devil came to him and tried to tempt him, and said, why don't you turn these stones into bread? And Jesus said, oh no. <laughs> Man does not live by bread only, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And make no mistake, what the Bible is telling us here today, very clear is you will never be satisfied. You will never be happy until you feast on the bread that has come down from heaven. Now, we, uh, Jesus, um, he told the Jews, after he told the Jews, I am the bread of life, and the tension started to really started building. Um, then Jesus he triggers the Jews again, and uh, the tension really started boiling over in the eighth chapter, okay, where Jesus, he's going to get in a dispute with the Jews over sin. And so this is where the Jews brought this woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. I don't know why they didn't bring the man, but they should have. And they brought this woman before Jesus and they wanted him stoned. She, they wanted her stoned. And Jesus said, okay, okay. Whosoever without stone, whosoever's without sin, let him cast the first stone. And all of a sudden they just started, 
disappearing. And Jesus looked at the lady and said, well, I'm not going to condemn you either. Go and, go and sin no more. So after this incident, Jesus tells the Jews something even more provocative. He looks into their eyes and he says this in John 8, verse 24. He said, if you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Wow, that'll sober you up, huh? Because we've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all, we're, sin has messed us up. We all have issues. If you don't think you have any issue, that's your issue. Because we, are, we, are, we have issues. We are not good reflections of Jesus. We try. We try hard. Listen, Michelle and I, we, we both had uh, miraculous conversions way back in the 1970s during the Catholic charismatic re revivals that swept the country. I was raised in an Irish Catholic family. She was raised in an Italian Catholic family. We both went to Catholic grammar schools. But that's where the similarities stop. I, interested, I, uh, uh, I was part of the, the drug-infested rock culture, and she was a disco queen out there on Long Island, New York. <clears throat> when I walked into church for the first time, I had hair down to here. Believe me, I used to have hair. <laughs> I had hair down to here with bell-bottom blue jeans with holes in the knees. And let me tell you, that was back in the day when they wore suits. So I, like, stood out. I was pretty much illiterate. I was on drugs, and I was part of a crime spree that spanned three counties in upstate New York. But by the grace of God, I ended up in Bible college. You can't make these things up. I, I married this disco queen, and... Um, we graduated from college and we ended up pastoring a dysfunctional church <laughs> in our 20s and we had no idea what we were doing. But we stayed there for 13 years, raised three kids, had three kids, and uh, ended up, you know, burning the mortgage of the church and uh, God taught us so many different lessons on faith. It's just remarkable. But I'll tell you what, God helped us, and we stayed there for 13 years. But after 13 years, something odd happened to me. Really strange. I mean, I actually started looking like a pastor. <laughs> and it came with this religious mask that I wore, and I had a bleached-out past. And I can, remember, uh, I, I can remember, like it was yesterday, God said, okay, that, that is enough of that. I want you to stand in front of the people and I want you to tell them what I did for you. I said, I said, Lord, 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 are you sure? And he assured me, it's, it's no use arguing with God. So I, I can remember standing in front of the entire congregation and my daughter, she was just entering high school. Uh, always prim and proper, Daniel. <laughs> And I remember when I started telling her my past and some of the things I did, her eyes, I thought her eyes were going to pull cover. <laughs> and all she knew was a pastor, you know. And so, uh, really, I'll tell you, you went back and told the people that I went to grammar school and high school with, 
and, and grew up with that, that I have an earned doctorate from accredited institution, they'd call you a liar. <laughs> but today, I want you to know God, God can help you change. Amen. And indeed, he's not done with me either. We all need the continuous change. And today I'm going to challenge you. I want you to I challenge you to stop thinking of sin as something only that you commit. And start thinking of sin as a power that tries to also stop you from doing things you should do. And a perfect example of that is Numbers 32, 23, where again Moses has that next generation before him and he's rehearsing their failures. And he said, now listen, you, you get across that Jordan River and you get in there to the, the promised land and you conquer it. And if you don't do that, your sin will find you out. Do you know it's a sin not to reach your potential? It's a sin to sit down and squander your life and not doing anything with it. After God has provided everything that you need, this is really why God's plan is on track. He's still waiting for us to step up to the plate. He's still, he wants us to be conformed back into the image of his son. We need to understand that we must reach our full potential. It's the purpose of why you're here. Now, here's a verse you need to write down. This is a refrigerator verse. You know what a refrigerator verse is? It's one you stick on your refrigerator because you need to be reminded over and over. 2 Peter 1, 3, as his divine power has given us everything that pertains unto life and godliness to him that has called us to glory and virtue, and here it comes, whereby are given unto us many exceeding and great precious promises. The Bible's full of promises. You know what the biggest promise is? The biggest promise is that you and I will take on the divine nature and escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. Over and over again, the Bible communicates this to us. For those whom he did foreknown, he did predestinate to be conformed into the image of his Son. John says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and yet, yet does not appear what we should be, thank God. <laughs> but we know that when he comes back, we're going to be just like him, for we shall see him like he really is. There was an old missionary by the name of Charles Greenaway. His, this was one, his one-liner. He would look out at the congregation, and he would say, look, we might not look like much right now, but you wait till resurrection power hits us. <laughs> It's God's plan for us to morph into the image of Christ. It's our plan to be like Jesus. And the only thing that's stopping us from becoming more like Jesus is sin. It's sin. It's the power of sin. You know where the power, you know where, you know where sin came from, right? Ezekiel 28 tells us, I just read that last week. It talks about uh, Lucifer. He was, a, he was an anointed cherub. He walked up and down the stones. He was in the mountain of God. He was, he was splendid until iniquity was found in him. And then he was kicked out. Well, that's where sin comes from. Here's a working definition. Sin 
is an invisible power that comes from Satan that impacts upon the mind, that's the sole non-material part of us, to stimulate the brain, that's the organic physical part of us, to think in terms of urges, fantasies, and ideas that distracts from and destroys one's divine potential. Whereas eternal life is the opposite. It's an invisible power that emanates from the person of Jesus that impacts upon our mind to stimulate our brain to think in terms of urges, fantasies, and ideas that enhances and develops our divine potential. And that is where we are at, church. We can tune in to both of those in a moment of time. Think about Peter when Jesus came through the coast of Caesarea Philippi at the end of his ministry, he was concerned if they got the message, and he asked them, who, do you, who am I? Who do you think I am? And Peter blurted out, thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, blessed are you, Peter. That was a divine revelation. He goes, now you need to know. I'm gonna, in a couple of days, I'm going to go up into Jerusalem, and I'm going to be betrayed, and I'm going to be crucified. And Peter said, no, 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 Lord, that's never going to happen. And Jesus said, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. And that's our issues. We're always focusing on the physical and not seeing the spiritual reality, which John is really trying to communicate to us here. And so um, we need to move on here to the final I am. The Jews became very angry, and they started now to insult Jesus and saying, well, you're just the product of fornication. We're, we're the children of Abraham. We've never been in bondage. And Jesus said, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you're a servant to sin, if you've committed sin, you're a servant to sin. But the Son shall make you free. You shall be free indeed. They, they, they even became more hostile. No, we have Abraham. We have Abraham. And Jesus said, yeah, I know, you. I know you're the seed of Abraham, but why are you trying to kill me? I'll tell you why, because you're really, you're really the, the, the devil's really your father. He was a murderer from the beginning. He goes, Abraham never acted like that. Abraham would never do that. And so the, the, the Jews, they, 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 here, here's the third one. He, he's addressing this in John 8, verse 56 and 59. Jesus said, your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was very glad. Now, we're going to come back to that. But the Jews, they didn't like that. They said to Jesus, now listen, you're only 50 years old, and you know Abraham? And Jesus said, oh, yeah. Before Abraham was, I am. And they picked up stones. They said, this is it. We're going to kill you now. And Jesus, he just was right through them, and he was out. Now listen. Jesus said, Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it, and he was glad. I'm going to tell you what that means, okay? Now you recall in Genesis where Abraham brought up Isaac. He came up onto this mountain called Moriah. And he was going to offer his only son as a sacrifice to Yahweh, to God. And the angel Lord stopped him 
and said, no, no, Abraham. And he turned around, and there was a ram in the thicket, and he calls out. What's he blurt out? Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. Now, we interpret that to mean Jehovah Jireh, he will provide for us, and he does. We sang that song. It was was very theological correct, but that's that's not what Abraham was saying to us. What Abraham was saying is, wow, on this very spot of Mount Moriah, this is going to play out one day. Only it's going to be God that sends his only son who dies for the sins of the world. Wow. But that was not, it's not really what Abraham meant. And we really need to grasp this because, you know, like many, many, many years later, David came on the scene, a man after God's own heart, but he did some beauties, didn't he? Didn't David? He, he really messed up. And one day, David rebelled against God and he started number of the people because he wanted to see how powerful he was. It got him into serious trouble and a plague broke out. And so David was scurrying around to find a spot to offer a sacrifice to God to stop the plague. And when he did, he happened upon this place called Mount Moriah. <laughs> right there where Abraham was. And he, he offers a sacrifice to God and the plague stops. And David sits back, scratches his head. Wow. He goes, this is where I'm going to build the temple. Because this is where God, he answered me. And you think about that. Think about Abraham, what it says in the Hall of Fame of Faith, where the Bible says that Abraham sought for a city that had foundation and whose builder and maker was God. Well, he was right there because that's where Jerusalem was built. He was just thousands of years too early. Let me tell you, time messes us up. Time will fool with us. Time messes Moses up. He lost 80 years of his life over timing. 40 years because he was too early and 80 years because he lagged behind. Let me tell you, if God has spoken to you, he will bring it to pass because time does not affect him. He is the great I am. Think about these powerful words that Jesus said. If you do not believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. Church, we need to deal with that. We need to understand that. Thank God that that's the foundation of our belief system, is that we believe in justification by saying that you're not saved by being good. You're not saved by belonging to a church. You're not saved by any other thing than the mercy of God. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done, but it's according to his mercy he saves us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. So we understand this, that Jesus took all of our rotten sin and laid it God took all of our rotten sin and laid it on Jesus and took Jesus' righteousness and gave it to us. Now, here's another refrigerator reverse right here in 2 Corinthians 5, 21. This, you need to be reminded of this, of who you are. For it says, for he made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. And so while Jesus hung on the cross and this great exchange took place, our sin, his righteousness, it was, it was, it was, the deal was being 
sealed right there on the cross. And Jesus, what did he do? He cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'll tell you why. Because Jesus became sin. And when Jesus became sin, the Father withdrew his presence from Jesus and Jesus died. And he experienced death for us. That's what the Bible tells us in Hebrews 2, verses 9 and 14, that Jesus tasted death for us, so we will never have to taste death. By biblical definition, death is separation from God. Jesus, when he died and he went down into hell, he shut down hell and he brought immortality to light through the good news. We will not die because we will pass through death as only a portal now to another dimension. But it's not a state of existence. It used to be a state of existence where people went. They died, they went to Hades or Shiloh, as the, as the Bible says. We won't experience that. But the writer of Hebrews also tells us that Jesus destroyed him who had the power of death, and he delivered us from the fear of death that we never have to fear of entering into a state of death. We pass right now into the presence of the Lord. That should get you excited, church. Well, we're going to bring this down. I'm going to give you a, I'm going to give you a bonus IM. There's 21 of them. I'd like to keep going, but <clears throat> time. So I, I just want you to visualize Jesus standing at Lazarus' tomb. And this was really the miracle that sealed his deal. That's where Caiaphas, the high priest, said, this is enough. This, this guy's got to die. Because the whole world's going after him. And so Jesus stood at Lazarus' tomb, and he's, he wasn't just talking to Mary and Mary, he's talking to us today. Listen to what he said. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Amen. Amen. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to challenge you today. Maybe you're here today. You've never took God up on that offer, but today you want to reach out to him. You want to receive the bread of life. You want to receive the resurrection and the power. You want to receive Jesus today. You want to become a son of God, a child of God. And if that's you today, I'm just going to encourage you to go ahead and raise your hand. Is there anyone here today? Okay, yes, I see those. Any others? Any others? Okay, very good. You can put your hand down. Could you stand before, stand together? So we had, we had two people raise their hands and... <clears throat> Today, we want to welcome you on, on the journey that we're on. We want you to understand that you can't do life by yourself. You, you need help. Um, I, I, lots of times when I tell people about being born again, I, say, I, I would say, now, do you remember when you were born? And they would say, yes. I go, oh, no, really? I say, oh, no, oh, no, I don't remember. Because no one does. But being born again is like that. When you're born again, you're unaware of the spiritual realm. But if you keep feeding it with the word of God and prayer and fellowship, 
you will end up growing and sensing the sp a spiritual dimension inside of you you never knew. Today, I'm going to encourage you to pray this prayer with these people. because This is just um, a little sample, a little explanation of Paul in Romans telling us how to experience salvation. He said, this is the word that is nigh thee, even in thy mouth and in thy heart. The word of faith. Faith is it. It's the only thing that's going to bridge you. It's the faith that we preach. That if thou wilt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. We believe that. So we challenge these two people that raise their hand that you pray this with us. We're all going to pray it together. And if you pray that and you mean it in your heart, <clears throat> you are going to be born again. Amen? So I'm going to ask you, go ahead and, and say it out loud. Repeat it after me, everyone, please. Heavenly Father, we thank you today for Jesus Christ your son and our Lord and today we confess with our mouth and we believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead and that he's coming again to receive us that where he is there we may be also in Jesus' name, we thank you. Amen. 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 We hope that you were encouraged by today's message. If you were, please feel free to share on social media, subscribe, or leave us a review. We can't wait for you to join us here again.